Broadcasting live from the cabaret, this is the Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Ava, and I'm joined by my sirens, Mila and Louisa. And this month, we're going to be talking about mermaids. We are covering the 2015 Polish musical horror film, The Lure, directed by Agnieszka Smaczenska, the 2017 Swiss fantasy drama, Blew My Mind, directed by Lisa Brulman, and the 2022 American psychological thriller, Nanny, directed by Nikatu Jusu. Taya is unavailable this episode, but she'll be back soon. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcasts app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. In the lure, two sirens, silver and golden, emerge from the sea and join an 80s rock band at a local cabaret. Golden continues to feast on the flesh of the men she encounters, while Silver feels more affectionately for humans. She even falls in love with the bassist Miatek, though he struggles to see her as a human since he knows her in her mermaid form. Another sea creature named Triton warns Golden that if Silver has her tail removed, she will lose her voice. Triton also warns that if her sister's love interest marries another woman, Silver will turn into sea foam. Have y'all seen H2O Just Add Water? Yes. Is that, wait, is that the Australian one where they, Chloe, no. Her name's Cleo. Cleo. Cleo, no. Cleo, no. <laughs> it was on Nickelodeon here. It was like the only Australian show we had. But similarly to this, I think if they just like, if they got wet, they would get their tail. So they had like a limited amount of time to find the ocean or like a body of water to run to. But unclear as to how they got unmermaided. Like, they have to wait till they dry off. They were a bit um, vague about that, weren't they? And how do these ones do it? We never see them get unmermaided. We also don't see their tail, like, grow. We just, like, camera pans away and then camera pans towards them to save that special effects budget. Cleo, no, the condensation. Yeah, anything would get them. They were so vulnerable. Maybe I'm speaking for an entire generation, and that's fine. But I feel like mermaids were, like, one of the coolest things that you could, like, imagine you might secretly be, that you might encounter. But actually, I don't think I even, when I was younger, watched H2O. I remember Aquamarine. I don't remember The Little Mermaid. I didn't have that much exposure to it, and yet I was obsessed. What was the lore in Aquamarine? Was it a similar thing if she got wet tail? Um, hmm. I don't remember. No, well, maybe, yeah. No, because I swear she went swimming with that guy. Maybe not. I remember her beach waves. I really thought I could get beach waves when I was younger. And, like, I couldn't. I couldn't. I think you had a lot of race confusion. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I thought it was so ambiguous. I thought, like, I threw some mousse in my hair. No one would know. Okay, wait. So, yeah, if she touches water, she gets her, um, her legs back again. Oh, legs back again. What? Sorry, he gets her tail back again. Oh, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) But there was something about getting legs forever. There was a sort of, oh, if she fell in love. It's like a Little Mermaid retelling, right? And there was that guy that was in all the like teen movies at the time. I don't know his name. He looks like a Zach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had that haircut. Standard blonde man love interest, right? 
You know, funnily enough, I, as a child and now, have never been really that into mermaids. So I have a massive mermaid tattoo on my whole arm. And like, it's more so, um, I don't think about things very hard. I thought you were going to be like our resident mermaid enthusiast. And you're telling me you're just a poser? I feel like I became a mermaid enthusiast after because I had to back it up. (laughs) But I know everything about like Caribbean mermaid lore. Like I got really into that after I got the tattoo. But the reason that my tattoo is a mermaid, really, I just wanted a tattoo of Eartha Kitt. And it is a tattoo of Eartha Kitt. And I believe her to be a siren. So it's more of a siren than it is a mermaid because I like how she is sexy and sings. And I thought that was really cool of her and I love her. So I knew I wanted an Eartha Kit tattoo, but then the reason I got a mermaid is because there's a photo of her that I love where the background is a mermaid wallpaper. So I went to the tattoo artist and I was like, can you make these two things one thing? And she was like, yeah. And then she drew it up for me and I came back the next week and I got it. And it's like, it's big. And I love her and she's my favorite. And she makes me feel like a sailor to have a mermaid tattoo. It's really more about like me wanting to be like an old man of the sea than it is about like how much I love mermaids. But I do think mermaids are like a, I mean, we'll get into this in our other films, but just like a really fun part of like black history and oral history. And I think I've always loved that about them. And I like that they're like, not good. I like that they're like a little trickstery. The Monstrous Feminine is on Twitter, so please go tweet us. If you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout out and our next episode is our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week is La Sororite, who shouted us out on Twitter and said in French that we cover a wide range of topics on horror cinema in English. Merci. Bisous. Bisous. I wish you a very merry revolution in France. The best of riots uh, in these times. Yeah, we need that energy over here. Channel that rage just like a mermaid would. Friendly reminder that we are also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear a cut discussion for our main episodes. And for £5, you get all that, plus the opportunity to pick our themes, films, and discussion points. Please support us. Any contribution helps. We were like discussing mermaid films to choose from and I was like going through and looking at all the trailers and everything like it is such an international category and it's kind of I don't know I think it's just super interesting how many places in the world have mermaids in their folklore and it makes me feel like they're real but I'll set that aside but I feel like the way that mermaids have a certain kind of personality across cultures I think is really funny to me. Like if they're like siren-esque, they're always like, if they're not out and out evil, they're like kind of out to get you or trick you or like they don't necessarily have like warm and fuzzy positive creature connotations across cultures. They're kind of like snotty little bitches. They're kind of materialistic. They like shiny things and they're like stealing and they, if they don't steal like actual people, they steal things and I I don't know I think mermaid stories are so funny and that they have like transcended culture and they all have this like particular attitude about them makes me feel like people have encountered them (laughs) across oceans and that they were all kind of like that why would everyone every culture decide that we're gonna have like a half fish half human creation if they hadn't I think these sailors are just horny as hell how come they're always the bottom half fish (laughs) 
why are they never top half fish? I just feel like if you're horny, it feels like it, like a bad hallucination to have this like beautiful lady who you like can't even like fuck. Do you know what I mean? I think that's a sanitized version of them that we've obviously like encountered through like the Little Mermaid. So this film, a wild fucking ride from the start to the end. I'm going to talk about my friend at work. Shout out Ed. He watched The Lure ages ago and he was like, are you guys going to do The Lure on the podcast? Are you guys? And he kept asking me and I was like, no, why? Is he so insistent? I see this film. And having watched it, I'm like, yeah, okay. This is a film that you tell someone else to watch so that you can talk about it with them and just like ponder it together. When I told you I was watching it, you said good luck and I was expecting something insane. And I think that you really raised those expectations your okay your level of insane is really skewed listen it's just everybody has a different crazy spectrum you suggested possession as a romance it's about a divorce well first of all that's not romance (laughs) second of all i went in thinking there's romance in this film so for you to have done that like mentioned it in the most mundane way means that you've got a fine different measure to me in terms of weird we do have a horror podcast. I feel like our tolerance of which should be wider. Them just having vaginas and it being <laughs> explored, <laughs> literally explored. They have their little fish slit. I think it's my like least favorite word in the English language is slit. I hate it. That I feel like you don't see in The Little Mermaid. <laughs> don't you? I missed that. Um, I really like this movie. Everybody was dressed like it was ABBA times and it was really fucked up. <laughs> and I... I think I enjoyed that their their songs were just like I don't know I could I didn't need to know Polish I didn't need to read the subtitles I was transported by their weird omnipotent singing and everybody transforming into these like I don't know their magical musical realms I really liked the first song because it was Donna Summer cover and that was pleasing to me but I didn't really I didn't follow like like what they were talking about like because it is like nonsensical I got the gist of it but in terms of like lyric in a song that makes sense and tells a story it's not exactly that it's more of a vibe what they're doing Guy Lodge for Variety called this film like I said that this the musical numbers alone come to resemble the wildest dreams of every Eurovision show producer Oh, so true, Bestie. It had like an essence of John Waters, and that's why I think I enjoyed it, is that it's like the type of camp that is not overly polished. It really is unhinged. It's like simultaneously kind of wholesome, but also fucked up. Yes. I totally forgot this was a Criterion movie, because I don't know how the voting committee of Criterion decides like which, especially like newer films, get like entered into the collection. And I looked it up, but they were like, oh, it's just vibes. And I'm like, oh, true. They're like vibes and excellence of a film of its kind. And I'm like, okay, check and check. It is vibes. It is an excellent film of its kind. Right? <laughs> of its kind is such a useful term for them to use as a qualifier because like this is truly of its My kind. My reaction after having watched it was like, what the hell was that? I don't know, if, don't like it. Like, you know? But then, literally for the past few days, it's just been like marinating. And I've kind of come around and thought, actually, you know what? 
it did so much. And it's so funny because I literally, I went to work and I was telling, talking to my friend who asked me, but and I was like, mm, this was, you know, and I was really negative about it. But then I've just been sitting with it and I was like, but actually it was like quite a quality film. I think when we were talking about queering cinema, is this the queer this kind one? of is queering cinema. It's kind of, it is linear, but it's very like, it's just Polish, man. <laughs> But we do a lot of like trans-coded films and this felt like in line with the rest of those. With the mermaid law, yes, for sure. I guess, um, what is the vampire one with the children? Let the right one in. It, it, I don't know. It tickled that part, same part of my brain as let the right one in. I think like mermaid lore in general, like body changes and stuff like really works and we'll see this a bit I think with like blew my mind but I think it really works with that coming of age puberty allegory that we have and like sexuality figuring it all out but like specifically with this film Diego Samarin for Slant Magazine said the film's like a trans allegory and he says are silver and golden not ultimately chicks with organically tuckable dicks Instead of penetrable orifices, the women on erotic display grow a massively phallic body part so rigid that it anchors them into place, perhaps assuaging castration anxieties. And as much as Smuchenska tries to remind us with gory plot twists and silly choreographies that she's interested in amusement for amusement's sake, the lure lends itself to all sorts of cerebral, if not political, considerations. It's hard not to think of Silver and Golden's mermaidness as a psychosomatic response to Poland's gender-based oppressions. It's as if their escape can only be imagined if they morph into a barely human body, even if ultimately their transformation only heightens their status as voiceless sex toys. And then Brianna Ziegler for Screen Queen said, the film presents themes of what it means to be a woman as opposed to what it means to be human, which deserve a deep dive of their own. Like Silver is not a woman to the bass player unless she can find a way to be a woman biologically, as in get a vagina. So I thought that was interesting. And I think it's not just like my body's changing and I like don't agree with the, my, the changes that my body's undergoing in like the way that we've had trans allegories before. It's specifically, I think that point, which is interesting about like how he does not accept her as a love interest unless she has a vagina. And that the scene of her, the surgery is really, I don't know, like it's right there behind my eyelids since I've seen it. Like, it's just, I think it's interesting that the skin like doesn't quite match when she gets the legs and like, it's, and that she's, I mean, she's awake during it and like singing her little song. And it's sort of just like one incision or, you know, or cut across her bottom half and a cut across the other bottom half. And then they like stitch it up and she's like awake and singing through the whole thing. And then they flip flop like the legs and the tail, like they for some reason put the tail back on like the donor's dead body. They were alive. I assumed that she wanted to be a mermaid. Oh, I thought she was like, like dead and they were like taking her legs for some reason. I mean, there was blood in that scene, but it wasn't like, like compared to the other body horror things going on in the movie, like wasn't the goriest bit of it and I appreciated that because I think that like that is what freaks out a lot of transphobes is like the surgery element of it like hormones and surgery element of it especially for like cis women and like when people get top surgery like it really freaks them out I've noticed like they see it as like a horrific mutilation of your body like why would you do that why would you do something so permanent and I think in this movie like it is, a, it is sad because you realize she's doing it for 
this man and i think she does want legs also like beyond that i think she more than the other mermaid like was more about assimilating to the human world and was always kind of interested in that even before she met this man but i think because she like gets these legs and then immediately tries to fuck and then he immediately rejects her is what makes it like so tragic because like there is some kind of like loss because like we as humans see them as these magical creatures and you're like no girl not your tail you don't need to get rid of your tail just like be yourself but i think it speaks to like some deep longing in her that exists for this man that exists for this world that like she you know wants to be i don't know she just wants to be different in a way that like her other her friend doesn't understand and like isn't in like is sympathetic to but not empathetic to i guess and i think i don't know it was just like an interesting way of talking about as a trans allegory talking about like the body and the mind and also like as like do to achieve your aims and to be seen by others in the way that you like want to be seen and want to be loved and want to be understood like yeah just like those two scenes alone like where she's with her friend and then like when she tries to have sex with him and also like the surgery so i guess the three of those are the things that like stuck with me the most and like i'm really chewing on them i really don't know how i feel about it but it feels it feels real like it feels like very real to like a trans experience yeah i'm glad you gave some depth to it and like that's what she wants or something because otherwise if it's just read as like a straight allegory it could be like against gender affirming surgery which i don't want to like see obviously no one's against well i'm not we're not against gender affirming surgery but like if it's seen as like she's doing it solely for acceptance then that's like what a lot of people in like media fear is that people regret getting surgery gender affirming surgery down the line and stuff so i don't want to have to like play into those fears but i do think it does raise some like questions like you said about like the trans experience generally after they have sex so she after her surgery she's got her legs she's got her vagina she goes and has sex with the bass player i mean he's quite like a um i don't know his expression does not like range from just looking broody and sullen like any bass player so we kind of infer that he's disgusted by the blood that comes like off of her surgery scars and it just i don't think i got the sense watching it but after that quote you read out louisa and hearing zaber talk on it it does feel like it lends more to this trans allegory than for example when we talk about blew my mind which has more emphasis on like the transformation of the body like through mermaid law her desire to have a vagina to like meet the approval like you said i'm hope part of her wanted it for herself but even if it was for herself like the argument we might be making for like Blue My Mind is that it, it kind of represents this very constructed view of femininity and like that sort of sexual service towards men that I think like the law of mermaids kind of represents. And this film, it's it just, yeah, that trans allegory comes through more strongly and like him rejecting her on account of this, it's unclear where the horror lies. Is it in that transformation of her, like getting her legs, her vagina? Or is it like trying to just show his disgust at it in this sort of like biological purism where he wants this like biological female? I'm not sure. I'd need a rewatch where I'm like actually considering that like trans narrative. Whether that was like intentional of the film or not, I think like we said, there's so many things that become queer coded or specifically trans coded that like it doesn't really matter if the filmmakers intended it or not. It's a really unique way to use like 
the mermaid form, definitely. But I feel so sad for her. And that stupid Evan Peters, Austin Butler motherfucker did not <laughs> deserve her. He was so ungrateful. And her Golden was right. She was like, what do you see in this man? Um, you know that bimbo on TikTok? Um, I can't remember her name, but she's like literally known as like the bimbo on TikTok. Who's like, he is literally just a guy. Hit him with your car. That was like the sound bite that was going through my head. I think where the ambiguity comes from is I don't know if this is intended to be a trans allegory, but like we're applying it to that. But actually the context is about like it is exploring what it means to be a woman, which is where like we're getting questions of like, you know, trans gender identity bringing into it. I was like, because we have a queer gaze as viewers and obviously other people do too. The film itself is obviously based on Hans Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid, which is obviously the basis of like all Little Mermaid adaptations. But in that tale, it's like really quite gruesome. The Criterion explains this in their article on this film. But they said, a young mermaid sacrifices both her voice and her life in the sea in an effort to win the love of an unworthy prince and with it, an immortal human soul. She works tirelessly to seduce him, even while every step she takes on her new legs feels like walking on knives. In return, the prince treats her like a pet, making her sleep at the foot of his bed and then marries another woman, sentencing her heroine to death by transformation into sea foam. But the little mermaid, thanks to her sisters, is granted a reprieve from this fate, the chance to murder her abusive prince in exchange for her own life. Instead, she chooses to sacrifice herself rather than achieving a sweet relief of frothy oblivion. However, she finds she has become one of the daughters of the air and her new duties include 300 years of flying around and fanning men when they get too hot. And as if that weren't bad enough, anytime children are naughty, her sentence is extended. So I feel like there's a tragedy of her undergoing that surgery rather than like that positive gender affirming surgery that we hope for in a trans allegoric film. But the tragedy here is based more on like a cis woman giving up her autonomy for a cis man is like the question that the filmmaker, I believe, is trying to like tackle or like highlight. Like that's the strain on gender that we're talking about here rather than the specifically trans experience. It's just kind of incidentally trans because questions of womanhood like are obviously going to raise that. I've sort of like read different sorts of things like written by trans women that like suggest that a lot of like socialization that happens when you're transitioning is like reckoning with and perhaps like seeking out experiences that feel like what women like go through in regards to like romantic relationships with men rejection from men is a part of if you're a straight woman is a part of like being a woman Rejection of men because of like what your body is or isn't is like a part of the experience of being a woman. But it's a very different and particular experience for trans women to be like rejected because of their body or rejected for like other reasons. And I feel like, I don't know, in this, it just, it just feels like, you know, a point of commonality in the Venn diagram of like trans and cis women experience similar things and it's misogyny and it's different flavors of the same brand of soda if you know what I mean. It's also just in general, like this is kind of a tongue in cheek as well, exploration of the mermaid as a vagina, like especially when they make jokes about it being fishy. Again, I love this article on the Criterion. Schmuchenska has created aquatic creatures on the cusp of womanhood. The girl's transformation into mermaids hangs heavily over the film as a metaphor for female puberty with all the attraction and repulsion, the odor and the slime that come with it, along with its threatening power over men. The sisters are often naked at first, unselfconsciously in a childlike way, then become aware of the magnetism of their bodies 
The nightclub boss hires them to strip sing and occasionally flash those tantalizing tales. And again, David Ilrich for IndieWire says, Needless to say, the lure is having some fun with chauvinist objectification. The film has a funny habit of lambasting dumb misogynist rhetoric by applying it literally, such as the bit when the man finds a slit in Silver's tail and comments that it smells like fish. If we look at Mermaid Law as a sort of classic melding of like female sexualization and monstrosity, I think any time women in history are sexualized they are also like infantilized at the same time something that just occurred to me i don't know i'm just going to throw a thesis towards like why mermaids are always these like very mermaids and other magical creatures are like these really young i'm gonna call them like temptresses like sirens in particular like the thought is that you like can't even um resist them because their siren song like lures you to the rocks and they're like a sign of danger that's the same shit grown-ass men are like, ooh, you're trouble when they're talking to a 17-year-old girl because they know they're gonna get in trouble. It's not just that, like, you're attracted to them. You, you also know it to be, like, a little bit wrong and a little bit dangerous and a little bit taboo. And, like, that's the danger. That's the trouble. That's the, like, you know, it's it's not that you are worried that this, like, young girl is going to, like, be more powerful than you or kill you or overtake you is that like you know it's wrong you know it's taboo and that somebody else could get you in trouble for it or that like you shouldn't be doing this i think that's maybe like part of the attraction that like people have when they i don't know like those porn categories or whatever like maybe it's like the sense of like the taboo or the like danger of it that's like part of the attraction and i think that possibly the psychology of that could go back like way farther to the origins of these myths too right like because fairy tales are meant to like warn you about something normally they're meant to like warn children you know don't do whatever but in this case like these were just like you said horny old sailors what are they warning each other of i knew it was going to be queer because barbara creed told me it was going to be queer in return of the monstrous feminine Barbara Creed's describing the sex scene between Golden and the policewoman, and she says that the policewoman splashes water over Golden's legs, which transform her into a magnificent tail. The two engage in erotic sex, and harboring no concerns about Golden's animality, unlike Miatek, the officer licks the full length of Golden's tail as their sexual encounter becomes more passionate. The woman is not at all put off by Golden's enormous tail scales or bodily fluids. In contrast to the scenes with Silver and Miatek, this abject and queer encounter between human and mermaid is filled with pleasure, although the policeman's fate is not clear. And the Criterion article also pointed that out, that like unlike the men in the film, the cop has no fear of female genitalia or bloodlust. So there's like a mutual acceptance between them. I know it's still queer monstrosity, but I don't know, because mermaids are also like, they're monsters, but they're more like monsters in their seduction. Like everyone knows they're universally hot. They're not like the typical like ugly queer monsters you know i don't know and it's kind of implied that like you'll never fuck them like they're gonna eat you or kill you or you'll crash on the rocks before anything even happens and it's also implied that they're not interested that they're like they know you're interested but like you're just gonna die i think it also like is so dependent with queer monstrosity so dependent on regardless of the intention of who's making it not only the context but like the execution of how it's used and I think that like the idea of using like a monster's form, be that a mermaid or whatever sort of like fantasy-like creature as a way to explore queerness, more and more so becomes 
something positive, not only positive, but like really, really accurate and like apt to just to sort of explore all of those feelings, whether that's like body dysmorphia or just like pushing boundaries, like disrupting norms of like sex, sexuality, more so than I don't think in that scene, I think the eroticism of it, again, listen, I'm not trying to like sever sex and horror sex and monstrosity we've talked about how those are so intertwined but I think that like it becomes more of like a narrative that is like would resonate with how people feel and less like to do with making queer sexuality sex queer experiences seem monstrous I mean perhaps that's true to an audience that has no like experience in their life or feelings in their lives that align with that so Barbara Creed also talks about like this film being a reworking of the Anderson original fairy tale. She says, Simajenska adapts the heterosexual tale of unrequited love, suffering and sacrifice to Silver's story while creating an alternative story of queer desire for Golden based on the power of objection and queer human slash non-human identity. And then she continues. In this strange, surreal world, queerness is unanchored from any single definition, making anything seem possible. It is only the men who try to assert authority of land over sea, solidarity over fluidity, and human over non-human. So this is her new text, but if we were going typical mon femme in the original text, I think there's a lot of like castration anxiety. Like he literally refuses to put it in her like she literally says put it in his penis and he refuses to put it into her fishtail slit i was gonna say he's a pussy and i think that's misleading wet wipe didn't they he should have put it in such a wet wipe so also the um the fact that golden is actually is quite literally a castrator you know she eats men's hearts and bites off fingers yeah that scene was so crazy like the pacing of it was so weird and they he doesn't really scream he just sort of like makes uncomfortable sounds and she chews she doesn't like take a bite and spit it out she like eats it i think it's a delicious serving of mon femme and that's what i mean like i watched this and i was like i didn't like it and then i thought about it for a few days and i was like just kidding liked it it's not a film i would like typically go and sit down and watch you're correct it was still visually dynamic and like interesting to watch so i wasn't ever bored in that way you know in the way that like i might be like a bit board and other films like I think it was really well done I like how they did the tale I like that kind of realistic feel to it apparently they were seven foot long practical models that the actors wore and operated with pedals and then they worked with a choreographer before the shoot and learned how to move them and make it look realistic so that's what the criterion described thank you for listening to the monstrous feminine be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, which is out. <laughs>